You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Election College, episode 264. Theodore Roosevelt, part one. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Ben, we were just talking about an episode we did a long, long time ago about Theodore Roosevelt. And there might be some redundancy here because, let's face it, he was a larger-than-life character in our history. And people call him Teddy Roosevelt, and no. (laughs) (laughs) Don't call him Teddy. Didn't he ride a moose or something? Um, A bull. Maybe it was a bull later in life. I don't know. Something like that. It looked cool either way. I, I think I... I may have just been a, a memory that was implanted in my brain through the Matrix or something, but I definitely remember that uh, image. <laughs> yeah, it was a rough ride. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's horrible. It was pretty fun. Uh, so Theodore Roosevelt. He's actually a junior. Did you know that? I did know that just because I'm looking at it. That's the reason. Yeah. So Theodore Roosevelt Jr., Um otherwise known as Theodore Roosevelt, was born in October of 1858 there in New York City. And he was the second of four children. His mom, the socialite Martha Stewart Bullock, and Theodore Roosevelt Sr. His older sister Anna and uh, younger brother Elliot were around. His parents had been around for a while. I think his mom... And his, um, I believe his um, parents were very much the New Yorker types. They uh, have even some ancestry that dated back to the whole New Amsterdam days. That's a long, long time ago. So Roosevelt, when he was young, is not in great health. And he has really, really, really bad asthma. And so he would have nighttime attacks and feel like he was being smothered to death, which, of course, was terrifying. Uh, His parents were terrified. The doctors couldn't figure out anything. But he was still pretty energetic and inquisitive. And that uh, inquisitive nature took its role whenever he got really super interested in zoology. And he had seen a dead seal at a local market and um, got it got its head. <laughs> uh, I don't really know how that exactly transpired, but he, he obtained its head and uh, he and a couple cousins uh, basically established the Roosevelt Museum of Natural History, which of course it wasn't really uh, the Natural History Museum, but that's what they called it. And so he learned taxidermy and things like that. And you start to see where 
uh, his love for nature and his you know the later things he'll do in life uh, really start uh, getting a seal's head from a local market. Uh, <laughs> he, he really observes a lot of insects and wildlife and actually makes uh, a paper when he's nine years old called The Natural History of Insects. So uh, his dad is pretty influential. He teaches him a lot of stuff about cultural affairs in New York. And uh, his dad also helps establish the Museum of Art, the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Uh, I didn't even say the Metropolitan Museum of Art, because when you say Museum of Art, you know it's the Met. I didn't know that. No, I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was the baseball team. Yeah. Anyway, um, his family, they're doing all kinds of crazy stuff, like packing up the bags and going abroad. And they go to Europe in 1869 and 1870. They go to Egypt in 1872. And they hike in the Alps. Like, this guy, he was loaded, right? Yeah. Not only was he loaded, but they were taking advantage of uh, making sure that they were giving young Theodore a an education that was not outrivaled by anyone. Now, what do you do when you have this awesome uh, kind of freewheeling homeschool education? You're going to excel in the things that you're really interested in. So he does awesome with his studies in geography and history and biology. He knows a couple of foreign languages, but math and some of the classical languages, eh, those are not his strong suit. But he goes to Harvard and his dad says, take care of those morals first, your health next. And yeah, the studies they're there too. By the time Theodore is done at Harvard, he has a ton of accolades. He um, is the editor of the Harvard Advocate. He graduates Phi Beta Kappa. He, you know, he's kind of the man as far as the academics go. For sure. And his father had passed away a few years after he started college at Harvard. And when he did pass away, Theodore Jr. inherits $125,000, which really, that's enough at that point to live pretty comfortably for the rest of his life. So this isn't the reason, but Theodore gives up on his idea of studying natural science and instead goes to law school like any good presidential candidate should. Of course, he's not a presidential candidate yet, but he moves back into his family's home in New York City, and he pretty soon after that gets frustrated with the law because it's irrational. I think a lot of us feel that way sometimes. Uh, so he spends, instead of studying law, even though he's still enrolled, a lot of time writing a book on the War of 1812. And in that time, he gets really interested in politics and starts attending meetings at the District Republican Association's headquarters. So his dad had been a really prominent member of the Republican Party. And at this time, it's like, if your dad is a member of, of a party or really super political, you probably shouldn't, at least if you're well-to-do. And Theodore Jr. is like, well, I like politics, so I'm going to be involved anyway. And so he, of course, makes good friends in the Republican Party. They all respect him because he is um, a smart guy. And he ends up running for the Senate, uh, for the, the state Senate and wins, and then drops out of law school and says, I intended to be one of the governing class. 
<laughs> it's like um, even as a young man, he had this sense about sensibility about him of what a practical education was. He had sensibility about him of what it meant to exist in the real world. One thing I love about Theodore Roosevelt is he studies the heck out of things. I mean, this guy looked at the War of 1812. He systematically studies the role of the U.S. Navy in that war, which, think about it, it's pretty intense because you've got that war being fought on all kinds of different fronts. And Roosevelt writes a book, a scholarly book, about the Naval War of 1812. And to this day, it's considered one of the best studied out books about that exact subject. So on his 22nd birthday, 1880, Theodore Jr. gets married to Alice Hathaway Lee. And they have a uh, daughter named Alice Lee. She's born on February 12th of 1844, so about four years after they got married. And just two days uh, after she gives birth, Alice, his wife Alice, passes away. Uh, they, she had some kidney failure, and uh, they, they called it Bright's disease at the time. And they weren't able to find it, to diagnose it, because she had been pregnant. And so in Theodore's diary, of course, he was devastated, but he just puts a big X on the page and says, The light has gone out of my life. Eleven hours earlier, in the same house, his mother had died of typhoid fever. So, of course, Theodore is distraught and leaves his baby in the care of his sister in New York City. And he goes and uh, grieves for a while. And then uh, when she's about three years old, he comes and takes custody of her. I'm sure he saw her in the meantime, but wasn't able to emotionally care for her. Yeah. So in the subsequent years, Roosevelt serves in the New York State Assembly, and he begins really making a huge mark because he's going after corporate corruption. And there in New York politics, as you can imagine, is every temptation in the world to take bribes, to take handouts, whatever you want to call them. Roosevelt wasn't having it, and he wins in 1882 re-election to his seat by a margin greater than two to one, um, because, let's face it, it's hard as a Republican to win in New York, and he cleans house um, just because he's known. He's known as the guy who is on a mission to stop corruption. So the election of 1844, the presidential election, is coming up. And there's a bunch of people running. And Theodore chooses to support Senator Edmonds from Vermont, who uh, the state GOP does not agree with that position. Uh, they prefer Chester Arthur, who is the incumbent. And he, you know, is known for a lot of the different things he had done at the time. Uh, Arthur, the, the president, was suffering from Bright's disease at the time. And nobody knew about it, really. So he doesn't tell them. And he also doesn't contest the fact that he gets nominated. Roosevelt is fighting hard and basically convinces the Manhattan delegates to not vote for Arthur. And then uh, 
Roosevelt, maybe a little bit arrogantly, takes control of the convention that's happening in the States and really gets rid of everybody who's supporting Arthur and Blaine at the time. And this kind of gets him a lot of notoriety. Yeah, there's some other things that he does in the midst of this election cycle. He gives a speech at the National Convention uh, saying that uh, John R. Lynch, who is an African-American, that he be given the ability to be a temporary chair for the convention. And, you know, if you're a Republican, in theory, you're going to support that. But that wasn't necessarily the case just because of racism. Roosevelt doesn't care. So Roosevelt moves out west after the 1884 election, and he pretty much just builds a ranch, because why not? Uh, it is uh, in North Dakota, and he calls it Elkhorn. And, you know, he learns a lot of different things while he's out there. He learns to hunt, and he learns to rope, and he learns to ride, and really, uh, he wants to be a cowboy, or at least earn their respect, but they don't really care for him that much, and they don't really get impressed very easily either and it doesn't stop him from writing for a bunch of different national magazines about frontier life and writing some books and this really helps him address some of the issues that are happening in the west and he tries to get ranchers to to organize and to address all the different problems that are happening and uh, creates some different organizations to help them do that and uh really one of his main things is conservation, making sure that large game animals and the places where they live and, and eat and reproduce and everything like that are, uh, are safe. Uh, he obviously believes in using the animals for uh, food and for uh, even sport to an extent, but wants to make sure that they are not wiped out. And uh, there's a bad winter, and it wipes out a ton of cattle, including his and a lot of his competitors, and he loses about $80,000 worth of an investment. And he's like, okay, that's it. I'm headed back east. But maybe I've done some good while I was out here. Yeah, so what do you do when you go back home? You marry your childhood friend. And that's exactly what he does. He marries Edith Kermit Caro, and you know, this is pretty quick you know it's been several years since his beloved wife had passed on but it is pretty quick and with that though he does retain custody uh, full-time of his daughter Alice and the couple has five kids and so you have five kids of uh, with this second marriage and then you have Alice who is notoriously feuding with her stepmother uh really the rest of her life she was feuding with everybody i think for the rest of her life uh we might want to do an episode about her yeah but anyway uh roosevelt re-enters public life in 1886 and all the republicans are very excited about this and they say hey you should run for mayor and theodore says okay that sounds good but he's running against Henry George and Abram Hewitt. What ends up happening is Roosevelt 
loses just because the vote was split between the United Labor Party and the Democratic Party as well as the Republicans. So it was a hard-fought campaign in that mayoral race. Roosevelt finishes in third place. He fears that he'll never recover, but he starts writing a book, and it's called The Winning of the West, and, you know, he gets some good reviews. He probably had a good, loyal audience like we do. And um, he fares well uh, from this point forward politically because the Republicans are back in business with Benjamin Harrison winning the uh, 1888 presidential election. A newfound respect for the Republican Party in New York. In 1894, there's a bunch of Republicans who get together and ask Theodore about, I almost called him Teddy, how dare I, <laughs> approach Theodore about running for mayor of New York City again. And he says, nah, I don't want to do that, but mostly my wife doesn't want me to do it because she really likes the social scene in Washington. And when he does that, a little while after the fact, when he, once it's too late to turn back, he's like, ah, oh, crap, I could have had an opportunity to get my political career going back again. And he, they end up going to the Dakotas for a while, and his wife is kind of regretful in the fact that she had something to, to do with that until, well, I'm sure she remained regretful, but a little while later, William Lafayette Strong wins the 1894 mayoral election and says, hey, Theodore, do you want a position on the New York City Police Commissioners? And Theodore's like, sure, I'll be the president. And he gets in there. He becomes the president of the police commissioners. <laughs> uh, he really changes a lot of the things that uh, are going wrong. He reinvigorates some different programs. He starts some different programs and makes a huge, huge difference. He makes sure that you know inspections are happening, that physical exams are happening, that all the firearms are accounted for and working well. Uh this is part of the era of civil service and the civil service exam and make sure that people are uh, really appointed to positions based on qualifications rather than just who they're politically affiliated with. And, you know, telephones even come into the police department during this time. So he makes a huge difference and he's there for kind of a pivotal time. And, um, he even puts himself in their shoes and goes and walks on beats to make sure that, well, one, things were going okay, but two, that his officers uh, were actually on duty. And uh, it comes to a point where the police commission is being legislated out of existence. This is because of some run-ins with Tammany Hall, and he decides he probably should just let it go. And that's what he does. Later, he'll correct that in a, in a different way. But we'll talk about that on the next episode because there is so much to talk about Theodore Roosevelt Jr. We just need at least a couple episodes, if, if not three. Yeah, and don't call him Teddy. So if there's anything you learned is that you may not want to call him Jr. Right. You don't want to call him Teddy. Uh -huh. That's pretty much all you need and to know. Yeah, and there's a lot more to this guy's life because... It's crazy how he emerges on the national stage, but we'll get into that. Hey, speaking of being internationally known and knowing that we can rock on the microphone, mm -hmm. 
and it's totally not stupid or outrageous to <laughs> take some time to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. You can do that by going to the Apple Podcast Player and doing that. It's really simple. Definitely. And if you could do it right on your phone, if you have an iPhone, if you don't, maybe you hop on your computer or your, your tablet, leave us a review on iTunes. We really appreciate that. We like it when you recommend us anywhere, whether it's to friends on Twitter or Facebook, whatever. But if you leave us a review, that really helps us out. Yeah. And go ahead, interact with us on social media because we hang out there too. We're at Election College on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you all for listening. We'll get back to you with some more info about Theodore Roosevelt next time. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.